Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14. Um, it's 1 Samuel chapter 14. I'm going to read one verse. One verse sermon. 1 Samuel chapter 14 verse 35 says this. Then Saul... Listen to the wording of this. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. Listen to this. It was the first time he had built an altar to the Lord. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first time that he had built an altar to the Lord. I'm going to stop right there. It's the only scripture I got for you. What in the world are you talking about? If you're taking notes and you want to jot down the title to this, I want to call it, or the subject of what I want to share with you this evening is this. The altar is not an option. The altar is not an option. In this particular text here in the book of 1 Samuel, what you have now is King Saul is currently reigning over Israel. But you have to understand just a little history about what's taking place in this particular text is the Bible said up until prior to King Saul um, uh, being anointed as king, the Bible said that God was the children of Israel's king. He had proven himself faithful to them over and over and over by delivering them and protecting them and keeping them. And the Bible said Samuel the prophet, who was the prophet during this time, Uh, had his sons to become judges over the children of Israel. But the Bible said that his sons did not walk uh, according to the things of God. And as a result, the people got very upset. And the scripture said that they began to cry out, cry out, God, give us a king. God, give us a king. And the Bible said that when Samuel heard them to begin to cry out, because they also said this, give us a king like the other nations. Give us a king like all the other people that are in the land. And the Bible said that when Samuel the prophet heard it, he began to pray and he began to seek God because of this great thing that they were beginning to cry out. But but what was amazing to Samuel, the scripture said, is that was God's response. The Bible said, God said, they want a king. They're begging for a king. He said, give them a king. Let them have a king. He said, because what they don't understand is this right here. Their desire for a king like the other nation is automatically rejecting me as their king. I know they want what everybody else has, but what they don't realize by desiring a king like everyone else, they're actually rejecting me. And the Bible said that God said, I want you to tell them because of this desire that they have, what kind of king is going to reign over them? He's going to be a king that's going to be harsh. He's going to be a king that's going to take your sons and he's going to enlist him in his army. He's going to be a, team, a king that places taxes on you and, and hardships and struggles on you. This is the type of king. But the Bible said the people were so stubborn and they were so uh, committed to getting what they want. The Bible said they said, Samuel, we don't care about that. Just give us a king. The thing that God upset God, you have to understand that it was already established in in the historical principles of the word of God that Israel would have a king one day. 
But the thing that got God upset was not that they would have a king, but they desired a king like the other nations. That's what he had a problem with. They did not embrace their uniqueness as being God's chosen people. I want to bring up a side note that we as the church and the body of Christ, we must understand that the Bible said that we are a peculiar people. We are a chosen generation. We are royal priesthood. In other words, we are called not to blend in, but we are called to stick out. We as the church and the body of Christ, we're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world, the scripture said. And you have to understand that we should never, never shy back from embracing our uniqueness as the people of God. The children of Israel, they didn't want to embrace. They said, let us just blend in and be like everybody else and do what everybody else is doing. But understand as people of God, I'm not saying that this is a place of arrogance or cockiness, but we have to understand that God said that we ought to be a different people we ought to be a separate people we ought to be a holy people and there's nothing wrong Paul said I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ but it's the power of God unto salvation and the Bible said that Samuel called found Saul Saul was actually chasing donkeys the scripture said his father's donkey and the scripture said in 1 Samuel 10, listen to what I'm about to say, that Samuel took the flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head, kissed him and said, hasn't the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? I want to draw your attention to something as I teach a little bit. Notice the scripture said that Samuel took a flask of oil. If they could put that back up, I want them to see it. He took a flask of oil. Did you catch the wording of that? Oftentimes when you see kings or even priests anointed, they are not anointed with flask of oil, but they are anointed with horns of oil. Because in 1 Samuel 16, the Bible said this same Samuel that anointed David as king, when he anointed him, he used a horn of oil. But when he anointed Saul, it was a flask of oil. Why is that important? You have to understand that the flax, even in its, uh, the, the flask of oil, in its original Hebrew language, it, me, it represented a man-made container. But when you look at the horn of oil, the horn came from an animal which was a God creation. In other words, you had one who had a man-made anointing, come on, and you had one who had a God-chosen anointed. And that's critical because if you watch the life of Saul, remember, remember Saul was man's choice. Saul was man's desire. Saul is what man wanted. See, God allowed Saul to be king, but David was God's choice to be king. And what you see that when you begin to see in Saul's life that his life is marked by man-made decisions and he was constantly trying to please man. If you look at his reign, he was constantly trying to please man. The thing that got him in trouble, the Bible said when Samuel came and said, what is this bleeding of sheep? What are you doing sacrificing? The scripture said, the first thing he said, well the people said, the people said, I did it for the people and it, it, it count it not strange that this man-made anointing, this king 
lived his life doing what he wanted to do, never yielded to the Holy Spirit, never yielded to the anointing of God. He was always doing things in his strength and ability, the scripture said, and he never had a desire to really humble himself and follow the ways of God. And could it go back to it was man's choice, it was this man anointing that raised up a king that only did things man's way. And when I bring you to that text in 1 Samuel 14, 35, it grabbed me as I was reading that. Because notice the wording of it. It said, then Saul built an altar to the Lord. Here's the key. It was the first time he had built an altar to the Lord. Why is that important, Javon? Understand that when this text was written, Saul had been reigning for several years. Saul had been ruling for several years. He had been making decisions for several years. He had been fighting for several years. He had been leading people and making choices and making decisions for several years. So years had gone by in his position and in his title. But the Bible said that it was only now that he decided to build an altar. How is it that he was leading and how is it that he was reigning and how is it that he was making decisions and going to battle and not one time did he stop to inquire of the Lord. And the Bible said it was here that he first built an altar. What I need you to understand is the altar was not Saul's first response, but the altar was his last resort. The altar cannot be an afterthought in our lives. What should have been an obligation, Saul made an option. The altar wasn't important to him. The altar came as an afterthought. After I do what I want to do and after I, I say what I want to say and after I go where I want to go and then I'll consult God and see what he thinks. But the Bible said this, that understand that when the altar becomes optional, Obstacles in life will become greater. The altar is where we meet with God. When I say altar, I'm not talking about erecting some big statue or stone. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a stack of wood or a stack of stone. I'm talking about that devo your devotion to God. That commitment and consecration to God. I'm talking about the altar of your heart. That you continue to surrender and submit that place of seeking and pursuing and hungering after God. Inquiring of God. Longing for God. Desiring for God. The altar is where we meet with God. It's the place of prayer. It's the place of devotion. It's a place of sacrifice. It's a place of surrender. I must protect as a believer and a child of God my personal altar. I want to say the pastor can't build your altar. The youth worker can't build your altar. Husbands, your wives can't build your altar. Wives, your husband can't build your altar. And there come a, young, a time, young people, that your parents just can't build your altar. That you have to learn to build your own altar and establish your own personal devotion to God. Understand, when I begin to neglect the altar like Saul... I lose my ability to make right decisions. I lose the ability to be spiritually sensitive. 
I begin to trust more in my strength and my ability and what I can do and what I think and what I feel. It's a matter of time when you stop praying, are you hearing me this evening, and seeking God and abandon the altar that you begin to lose character and lose integrity. You begin to lose it and begin to live a loose life that nothing really matters and standards you once held and standards you used to keep. Now there's a compromise and now you're not worried about it. I'm telling you as believers, I know this is this old fashioned stuff, but I'm telling you this is the stuff that we got to get back to and realize if we're going to be successful as a church, as individuals, we have got to maintain a personal altar. To lose the altar is to lose everything. The Bible speaks of the priority of the altar. And I'm going to give you some points here. Where is the altar first mentioned in Scripture? The Bible says in Genesis chapter 8 verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And he took every clean animal and every clean bird. And offered the burnt offerings on the altar. Notice that's the first mention of an altar in Scripture. Where Noah, notice this what it said, built an altar to the Lord. When did he build it? It was immediately after the flood. The flood that came as a result of judgment. The flood that came and washed and cleansed the whole earth. Which says that the moment I come down to this altar. Whether it's this altar or whether it's in a parking lot. The moment I surrender my life to Jesus Christ. And the blood of Jesus washes me and purges me and cleanses me. Then immediately following that I should start establishing an altar in my life. But I want you to notice something. It's interesting to see that the Bible said in first in, in Genesis 8 and 20 that Noah built an altar. But exactly one chapter later, first over in Genesis chapter 9, verse 20, one chapter later, the Bible said that Noah did something different. The Bible said that he planted a vineyard and became intoxicated off of the vineyard. To the point that he was naked and exposed, the scripture said. One chapter transpired. And he went, listen to what I'm about to say. He went from altar building to vineyard planting. In other words, notice this. The vineyard represented his success. The vineyard represented what he could do. And could it be that sometimes that we start out strong with the altar and we start out great with the altar. But when we get a taste of success, when we begin to eat the fruit of the vineyards that we have planted, that we can become intoxicated with our own success. And the very thing that was meant to bless us becomes a curse to us because now it takes priority over the thing that actually got us there. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's amazing how we'll tear the doors of the church down in crisis we'll get a prayer life when we have all types of problems but the worst thing we can do as a believer is only allow crisis to push us into Christ and that only time we got a prayer life is when things are going bad only time we want to worship is when things are jacked up but no 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 you should worship the Lord thy God at all times our worship shall be continual it should never be contingent and listen when you 
you come out of the funk, when you come over the mountain, when you get through the valley, you don't stop praying then. You don't stop praising then. Matter of fact, you ought to praise a little bit more. You ought to pray a little bit more. You ought to worship a little bit more. Don't allow the vineyard planting to supersede your altar building. I wrote it this way. What vineyard have you planted? That has turned you away from your altar. Could it be your business? Could it be your pleasures? What temptation have turned you away from your altar? What person, what relationship have turned your way, turned you away from your altar? What church? Let me say this. Don't let church work and doing things in the church turn you away from the altar. Church activity does not substitute my altar to God. Yes, we ought to be involved and yes, we should serve and yes, we should be a part. But you cannot substitute work for God with your devotion to God. The altar is not an option. The altar is not just for preachers. The altar is not just for teachers. I want to say it like this. I wrote it in my notes. The altar is not an option. If you serve in the parking lot, the altar is not an option. If you are an usher, the altar is not an option. If you are a greeter, the altar is not an option. If you play on the keys, the altar is not an option. If you sing on a platform, the altar is not an option. If you push buttons for lights, the altar is not an option. If you serve in kid pack, the altar is not an option. If you serve our youth, the altar is not an option wherever you are. If you are a believer and a child of God, it doesn't matter what serving position position you hold what title you get the altar come on it's not an option patriarchs were 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 sincere about their altars abraham the bible said in the book of genesis It says in Genesis chapter 12 that the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I will give this land to your offspring. So he built an altar there to the Lord and he appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent. And with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, he built an altar to the Lord there. And he called on the name of the Lord. Look, notice in that scripture, Abraham built two altars back to back. Did you catch it? He built one, the Bible said, and from there he moved on to the country east of Bethel. He pitched his tent there, and with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, the Bible said right in the middle, the scripture said that he built an altar. Bethel on the west, the scripture said, which means the house of God or the gate of heaven. And then he said, Ai is on the east. You know what Ai stands for? Ruin. There he stood between the house of God and ruin. And he said, you know what? There's only one answer to get me beyond ruin to where God has called me to be. And that's an altar. He could have stayed there and probably got hung up with ruin. But he said, I'm going to build an altar because the Bible said that once he built the altar, then he moved forward and journeyed to where God called him to be. Understand, it was on the altar that Abraham proved 
that God was his priority in his life. When he was willing to sacrifice his own son. <clears throat> the scripture says this. I want to show you this. <clears throat> that the altar must remain a priority in our life. The Bible said this concerning Isaac. I love this. In Genesis 26, 24 through 25. It said this. That there he called upon the name of the Lord. And notice this. He built an altar there. He pitched his tent there. Watch this. And also Isaac's slaves dug a well. Notice the order. The Bible said he built an altar. He pitched his tent, which means he built his house. And then the scripture said his servants dug a well. Notice the order. The priority was his altar to God. And then it was his house. And then it was his career. Hmm. Sometimes we get it backwards. We do career. We do family. And then if we got time, we'll find an altar. Because our natural mind says, I got a career, I got a career, I got to go, I got to go, I got to make money, I got to make money to take care of my family, take care of my family, take care. And then if I find time, I'll get to church. If I find time, I'll pray. If I find time, I'll read my Bible. But you, you got to understand this. Listen, listen, all of us want to have financial security and take care of our families and, and leave a legacy for our children. And God wants that too. But you have to understand the proper order. It's not seek ye first your career but it's seek ye first the kingdom of God and God said I'll add all these things to it what does it good if I leave them everything and they have no spiritual inheritance what good does it do if I leave them with houses and cars but they don't know the one who is the creator of all things but he said if I'll seek him first God says I'll add to you what others have to work for Who? If I make him the priority, you may not have to work as hard. He said, because I'll begin to add to you what others have to work hard for if you make me the priority. And what I love about that, as I read you about these altars, notice it was Isaac that built the altar. It was Abraham that built the altar. It was Noah that built the altar. Jacob built the altar. Why, why am I saying that? Because let me, let me go ahead and get there. I need to talk to my fellas for a minute. It was the man, according to the scripture, that built the altar. It was the man that established. Isaac said, I'm the man of this house. I'm going to establish the altar of this home. In other words, I'm not going to sit back and let my wife do all the praying. I'm not going to sit back and let my wife do all the worshiping. I'm not going to sit back. Oh, you don't get quiet on me, man, but that's all right. Because see, that's what's wrong. We're living, we're living in a society that is plagued by fatherlessness. We're living in a society of misplaced men not taking their roles and stepping up to the plate like they should. I wonder why. I wonder why. And homelessness and poverty is being connected to men not being in their place. And cities are going to ruin because we can't find no men. But I come to serve notice in Jesus' name that Free Chapel will be a house of men that will build altars. The Bible said I sought for a man that will stand in the gap and make up the heads. I need some men that will build altars. 
leaders. I need some men that know how to go in your home and take authority and plead the blood, rebuke the devil, push back darkness, and declare that no spirit but the spirit of God will rule in my house. I'm going to bring the money home. I'm going to bring the bacon home, but I'm going to come in here with some anointing too. I'm going to come in here with the word of God too. I'm going to come up here with some worship too. I defy that spirit. I don't even like hearing the term fatherlessness. It does something to me. It stirs me up. One of the things that Malachi said before the return of the Lord, he said, I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. And I'm going to tell you, the father's heart will turn if we'll turn to the altar. If we'll get on our knees and pray, come on. If we'll cry out to God, God will do something. Three things. What will God use the altar in our lives for? Number one, God will use an altar for authorization. What do you mean by that? It's a place of acceptance he'll use it for and a place of approval. You see, Saul always did what he wanted to do first and then asked God to bless and honor it afterwards. Hmm. Here's what I wrote. Saul wanted God's validation but he never got God's authorization. What are you trying to get God to validate that he is not authorized? Ah, oh, yes, I'm about to get in here real good. What am I trying to get God to validate that he has not authorized? You see, have you ever, have you ever, have you ever went to a restaurant? I'm sure you have. And then you, you know, you know what you ordered and, and you looked at everything. You're good. And they bring the check. And when you look at the check, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes I don't pay any attention. I just say, here, Shannon, take care of it. But she look, I mean, she get it and she holding it up in the air like, I'm going to make sure we got that. We got, the, you know, the nail going down the side. And she, sometimes I just don't pay it much attention. And she'd be like, uh-uh, uh-uh, we didn't get that, we didn't get that, we didn't, who ought, did anybody ought, no, 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 we didn't order that. Excuse me, could you get my waiter, please? She finds it all the time. Because she'd be like, I know this building costs this much. I know you, baby. But my point is this, and she'll call the, the, the waiter or waitress over and say, excuse me, real nice. she do it nice. But unfortunately, there's things on this bill that we didn't order. And because we didn't order it, I'm not obligated to pay for it. I know it's on here, but I didn't order it. Matter of fact, I don't even like it and I don't eat it. And I don't know how it got on it. But it would be foolish for that waiter to say, well, it's on there. You're just going to have to pay for it. Especially to say that to my wife. But anyway... But how many of you know, they'll say, I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to remove that off of your ticket because I don't want you paying for anything that you did not order. 
But how many times do we do we bring receipts to God in prayer after we made carnal purchases and not got his authorization, but we want his validate? I didn't ask you about this relationship, but I want you to validate it. I didn't get authorization to date him, but I need you to validate it. I didn't get authorization to date her, but I just need you to validate. I'm getting older. Time is catching up. And you know, I just can't help myself. But Lord, it feels good. It seems right. What the Bible said, there is a way that seemed right to man, but the end thereof are many ways of destruction. What relationship? Are you trying to get him to validate that he hasn't authorized? What decisions are you trying to listen? Major decisions, major choices uh, need to be placed on the altar and say, God, what do you think about this? What do you feel about this? Uh, I know this is what I like. I know this is what I desire. But what is your will? See, the proverb said this, a man's heart devises his own ways. But God, can, there it is, a man divide. But the Lord determines his step. Did you hear that? Your heart will start devising stuff, coming up with stuff. But he said, but the Lord will direct your steps. In other words, it's possible to have things in my heart that are not in sync with God's steps for my life. Ah, Because the Bible said the heart is deceitful above all things. That's why Psalms 37 said to delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Wait a minute. He ain't talking about Santa Claus stuff. It doesn't mean that I'm God just going to give you everything that you desire in your heart. That's not what he's saying, because God would be crazy to give you another woman that's married just because you desire her. So he don't give you everything that you desire. What he's saying, if you'll delight in me, if you'll seek me, if you'll spend time with me, if you'll get on the altar with me, I'll start putting desires, right desires, good desires, good dreams, good visions. I'll bring the right person if you'll seek me. I'll bring the right connections if you'll seek me. One of the things under the old covenant that was a sign of approval that God approved was fire would come down, the scripture said, and it would consume the sacrifice on the altar. Watch this. One of the things that it would consume was the animal fat. <laughs> animal fat. Do you know that's where saturated fat comes from? Animal fat. Do you know that saturated fat, the LDL cholesterol in your heart is increased tremendously by saturated fat? Where are you going with that, Javon? Are you ready? Notice it was, it's, it's fat in the heart. And when fat gets in the heart, I got spiritual clogged arteries. I've got blockages. There's not a free flow of what he wants to do in my life. And he said the only remedy to get things out of your heart is that you have to get on the altar and let the fire of his presence consume the fat, consume the extra, consume the surplus, consume those, those heart issues. 
blockages of unforgiveness blockages of bitterness blockages of resentment blockages of anger blockages of deceitfulness the only thing that can get rid of is the fire that falls on the altar number two I got two quick ones and I'm gonna be done but not only is there authorization but then there's alterations alterations have you ever had any, to get anything altered I got a short torso short legs and now hard to find pants and I have to get altered cut at the bottom length and stuff like that I have to have them altered the word alter means to modify to adjust or to cut to the point that it's the best fit alterations what do you mean by the altar is where God does alterations see Romans 12 1 watch this it says I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your body a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service. Now, let, 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 me, let me, I know we hear this scripture, but let me dig into it. I beseech you, therefore, brother. That word beseech means a prayerful plead. Paul is saying, I'm prayerfully pleading with you about how important this is. This is something that you absolutely must grab a hold to. It's critical to your walk. It's critical to your relationship. Don't take lightly what I'm about to say after this beseech. He said, it's absolute necessity to present my body as a living sacrifice. But the word beseech also was a military term that was used by military commanders. They would beseech the army or summon the army before battle. And when they would get them all together, he would beseech them, that term was used, by watch this, making them aware of how serious the warfare would be and giving them details about the battle and letting them know that it wasn't going to be an easy job, but to stay in there and fight to victory. See, when Paul was saying this, he understood his audience. Because what he's saying is, when you make a decision to fall on the altar and totally surrender and consecrate yourself to God, when you present your body as a living sacrifice, that decision is going to stir up a battle in your flesh, a warfare, come on, in your flesh. That you're going to have to deal with because the flesh does not want to die on the altar. But he said if you'll stay in there and you keep surrendering, you keep bringing it to the altar, putting it before God. He said if you'll hang in there, victory is guaranteed. But what Paul's saying, the moment you decide to say I'm really selling out, I'm really surrendering all, your flesh is going to put up a fight. And that's why he said a living sacrifice. You know why it's a living sacrifice? It's because it requires you to do it daily. Every day. Listen, a new day necess necessitates a new death.
You're going to die today. Guess what? You're going to get up tomorrow morning. It's time to die again. You're going to wake up Tuesday. It's time to die again. You're going to get up Wednesday. Let's die again. Paul said, I die daily. If any man will follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. I told our SOD students one time, I said, we got to understand, we think Satan is our greatest adversary. Satan is not your greatest adversary. Self is your greatest adversary. Self is a greater enemy than Satan. Because see, if you're dealing with the devil, even a demon, you can at least cast it out. But you can't cast self out. There's only one remedy to self, and that's death on the altar. Selfish ambition, selfish agendas, selfishness, selfie. See, it was a living sacrifice because it had to be done daily. But see, under, in the New Testament, the animals, watch this. They didn't have live animals. See, when the, when, the, when the animals were sacrificed, watch this. They were already dead. Whew. And because they were dead on the altar, watch this. They didn't fight back. They didn't scream. They didn't kick. They didn't protest. They didn't catch an attitude. They didn't roll their eyes and pop their tongue and shake their neck and put their finger up in the air. They didn't do any of that. They didn't have none of that going on. They didn't get no attitude. You know why? It was dead. You can kick that animal, no response. You can prod that animal, no response. You can talk about it, no response. You can gossip about it, no response. You can backbite it, no response. Oh, you don't hear what I'm saying. You can, you can try to offend it, but no response. You can try to get it upset, but no response. Why? Because it's dead. I'm telling you, if we get more dead Christians on the altar, we wouldn't walk around so uptight all the time. Oh, chips on our shoulder. Can't speak to, speak in tongues, but can't speak to people. Put your hands up, but can't shake no hands. Come on, somebody. Listen. People that are offended most are often people that pray the less. They hadn't been on the altar long enough. There's a place of death that you can get where things don't bother you anymore. The buttons can't be pushed. Talk about me. Make fun of me. I'm dead to that. I'm dead to that. I'm dead to that. I'm dead to that. It's no longer me that lives, but Christ that lives in me. And the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God. Give Jesus a shout of praise if you believe it. The altar is not an option. Everybody stand to your feet. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed.